Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Black Card Rehab, the show where we go from zero to black, one episode at a time. I am joined today by my white friend, Paige. Hey, Paige. Hello. On a scale of zero to black, how are you feeling today? I am feeling a Krispy Kreme pumpkin spice cake donut. uh, Oh. (laughs) I'm just continuing on my tour of exploring my whiteness and <laughs> that's where it's landed this week it's you've tasted it spice donuts it's delicious it's amazing <laughs> highly recommend um not so much recommend their blended coffee drinks but you know i'm a connoisseur of those things now <laughs> i did have pumpkin cereal this week so i guess i'm Ooh, who makes pumpkin cereal Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's in this house, Trader Joe's, Joe's in this in house. This house. <laughs> I, alternate answer. I am feeling that my first reaction upon hearing that Cardi B and Offset were getting divorced was, I hope she has a prenup. So, mm, yeah, that that also. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's been an interesting week for me. And Crystal, mm-hmm. on a scale from zero to African-American, how are you feeling this week? I'm feeling sorry for my white female friends. Um, Like, I know that RGB has done stuff for me, too. Um, I realize that. (laughs) But the amount of... I just was like, oh, 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 okay. Like, social media. Like, I'm very sad. It's it's devastating. It's not great. It's not looking good for us um, as a people, as women uh, in this country. But um, social media on, on the white women's side on my timeline just exploded. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah. I think a lot of us right now, we're like, so what country are we moving to? Who would let mm-hmm. us in? <laughs> yeah. Whereas black women for a while have been like, please let us out. <laughs> like, yeah. can, we, can, we leave? can we leave now? <laughs> How about now? Let's How about now? now? <laughs> can I go now? Um, well, today I am very excited to have uh, our guest on. Um, he is the founder of Fair Square Comics. Also, uh, I, I guess I would say like a savant when it comes to musical knowledge, musical facts, but specific to a specific type of music. Um, Fabrice Sapolsky, welcome to Black hey. Car Rehab. Hey, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, longtime listener, first yes. time caller. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that will be me. I'm a black card rehab nerd. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like, you like that. that. Okay. Yeah, because we we need to work on a name for our our listeners, for our followers. So yeah, and you can't you can't say like the blackies. It wouldn't work. The card sees it wouldn't work. The card sees the rehab sees it wouldn't work either. So <laughs> maybe we would have to work on something different. Um, and today, how are you feeling on a scale of zero to black? Okay, so I noted that Paige has an alternate, so maybe I should have an alternate too. Like initially, <laughs> my, my answer would have been, I feel Larry Blackman singing Skin I'm In and doing a white face in the video, which, which he did, which he did. It was a cameo video from 1988, uh-huh. if my memory is, is, is good. And Larry Black, I love cameo. Cameo uh-huh. is a wonderful funk group, and I love Cameo. So, uh-huh. uh, Larry Blackman is the epitome of the of blackness. Like he's the guy who who really like he was he still is an activist, and and he 
he pushed boundaries and in a lot of ways and 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 cameo is this kind of band that as that fans know people mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. but in the in the whole wide world they don't yeah so we have to educate them that cameo is a cool band yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. i mean black's literally in his name so i'm not surprised to hear that he is the yeah. epitome of black larry blackman so and tell us what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about new jack swing okay you want the, you want the, you yes. want the sexy version <laughs> New Jack Swing. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that we're doing this, though, on the heels of New Jack City, which a lot of people are familiar with. But I think a lot of people are familiar with the music of New Jack Swing, but they're not necessarily familiar with the actual genre itself, how it exists as a category and um, what its yep. actual history yep. is. Yeah. So, but I first want to ask everybody, what was your first new Jack Swing? Before we go into the nitty gritty, what was your first song that you're aware of that you know is new Jack Swing and that you knew like you, you were obsessed with? Uh, for me, it's Motown Philly. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I heard that okay. as a child, child. 1991. Yeah, I was uh, four when it came out and I probably heard it not too long after that. Um, mm-hmm. and it is like a family song where like my parents loved it. They played yeah. it for us all the time. We constantly listen to it now, even as adults. Um, so that was, I, that's definitely my like intro to new Jack swing. But then when you mm-hmm. sent the, so spoiler for sent a playlist over, uh, when you sent that playlist over, I knew 70% of that playlist. And I was like, oh, I think my parents just really liked new Jack swing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of songs on this were frequently played in my household at the time. That's cool. Yeah. So I think mine was so is uh is is my prerogative. Is that New Jack Swing? Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think mine is my prerogative. That song came out, the timing of when that song came out, it it uh it it crossed perfectly with my mom's divorce. Uh. <laughs> there's, there's a message here <laughs> too sarcasm I'm just picturing your mom grooving out to it just like everybody's talking yes. all this stuff about yes. me why won't they just let me live and I'm yes. just like, that's the perfect divorce song right there yes. <laughs> that was our jam and I didn't till years later realize why that was our jam. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember good times in the car, good times, <laughs> good grooves. <laughs> That's such a I good mean, song. I mean, ironically, you know that uh, this song uh, was uh, created by uh, Teddy Riley. We're going to talk about Teddy Riley and and Arnold. Um, it was initially intended for another project, but but te- uh, Bobby Brown wanted it, mm-hmm. and ironically. When I listened to that song for the first time, it actually reminded me of a male version of Control from Janet Jackson that was released two years before. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly that. Yeah. Who was it for originally? It was for Guy. Ah, your favorite band. Yes. My favorite band. (laughs) So what was your first New Jackson? Okay, so this I'm going to cheat because I'm a little bit older than you ladies. Um... (laughs) But the first New Jack Swing song that I ever heard, the term New Jack Swing hadn't been coined yet. 
So we didn't know how to call it. It was I Want Her by Keith Sweat. Oh, oh I love that song. Such and a it good was song. and it was the first ever new Jack Swing song to hit reach the airwaves. Uh-huh. And um and that song was like it was so different from anything else R and B or funk or pop at the time that it was like and I remember because I was 17 years old when it came out. And um and I was like trying to, you know, mix a little bit for my friends' parties and all. And I had a problem because it was so, so different that it was impossible to mix with anything. Hmm. The New Jack Swing was. It was you couldn't mix it with No, uh, I want her when it was yeah. released uh-huh. because it was it was a it was alone. Uh-huh. Like and it it was its own genre, it was its own category. Uh-huh. It was it was breaking all the time. It was never linear it was it was like defying all all the the rules of r&b and hip-hop uh-huh. and 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 it took me a while to understand that it was the birth of something different mm-hmm. and it only hit me after uh, probably after 1988 after my prerogative precisely because like in in the the grand scheme of things um New Jack Swing was came in waves, and and it was like it was totally spontaneous. It was not it was not planned. It was not something that was like stage or anything. It was totally improvised, and they were learning and they were delivering the music as they went, and so it kind of built up over the years. The, the, I remember that we were ref- after a few months again. New Jack Swing, the name didn't exist. We were referring to it as to it as a as breakbeat or heavy R&B, those terms that were like, because there was no other way to, to qualify that, that genre. But like after a few songs, we understood that it was here to stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now this, I'm just, I want, I guess I want you to talk a little bit about how it reached you and like how, what the effect was. Cause you were in France at the yes. time. Yes. So there's something that I, I usually uh, say, and, and it's very, very funny. Um, I'm a minority too, even though I'm not black, I'm a minority. And in France, our minority is 0.5% of the French population. So we're very few. Mm-hmm. We're, and, um, and the thing is, when you grow up as a minority in France, and France doesn't, it's not like in, in the US where you can count minorities, they are visible. France only see French. Legally, minorities don't have a status. Minorities don't really exist. Um, it's not by place to say if it's right or wrong, but it's, it is what it is. And um, and so as such, when you are different from the majority of the population, you easily identify with another minority that is bigger than you. And the Black minority was bigger than us, but it was really an inspiration in many ways because the fights went in the same direction. The struggles, not exactly the same, but like close. So there were a lot of, of fights where I could feel that it was, it really, it hit home yeah. in a way. So uh, it was usually like all the population there was always the same things, like either people from the islands, black people, of course, of France, uh, Arabs, Jews, Asians, all the people who are like, the outcast and we were all listening to this kind of music so there was a kind of a circle in paris uh which was like probably five thousand people (laughs) that was about nothing paris if you know paris paris is about two million people intramurals 
but it's about 20 million with the whole, the whole region, the whole area. Uh, so 5,000 people going to a concert. I remember going to a Bobby Brown concert in 89. We were not even 5,000. We were probably 3,000. So it, 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 was, it was really the kind of music that nobody knew. And uh, it was not on the radio. It was nowhere. We, uh, we kind of we had a circle of friends and we exchanged the records. It was mostly vinyl records at the time. Uh, and a little bit of CDs, even though CDs were still expensive. But we went to uh, specialty record stores that had those records. And there were a couple of like alternative radios, which had like a couple of hours programming a week dedicated to that type of music, which was usually on, on Saturdays or on Friday nights. And, and we could hear the mixes. But sometimes you would hear the song, there was no Shazam in 87 or 88. What? And no. And you and like <laughs> like shock. We when we went to the record stores, we couldn't listen to the tunes. So we didn't know if it was good or not. Most of my record collection that I built at that time, it was you know, inspiration. It was like, "Huh, I'm looking at this photo cover. It looks good. I'm looking at the credit. I recognize a few names. I'm buying it." And I couldn't return them. So if the record was bad, my bad. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, I had two ideas. ID number one, because I'm a nerd, uh, there was one place in Paris where I could buy Billboard magazine. One place. It was a, uh, an English slash American bookstore called Brentano's. And the guy at Brentano's was an old guy, probably 80, 80, 90 years old, but he was still working. Um, and he, he had a small uh, newspaper slash magazine section in the store. And he received five copies of Billboard magazine every week. It was very expensive. It was like 40 francs. I, I couldn't tell you how much in dollars right now, but for me, with, with my lunch money and my, and my small allowance, it was very expensive. But I wanted it because it was a way to be connected to the music that I loved. And, and so I was looking at the charts and when I could have a copy, because like it was a fight, I had to call in on Tuesdays and put an option on the magazine. And if I didn't pick the magazine on the Thursdays between 12 and 2, uh, it would go for someone else. On numerous occasions, I, I went there. And the magazine was already sold because he forgot. Wow. It was old. So it was not every week and it was expensive, but but it allowed me. And I was reading it from cover to cover. Like Billboard magazine was the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it became that for me. And I was reading the charts and I, and I learned. That's why I have all this knowledge now because all these formative years where I was listening to, to those who are trying to listen, I identified the... Um, the names that I knew from the producers, the, the, the recording artists or, or the labels. And this is how I kind of built my universe, my musical universe. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing is uh, because it was the time, it was the birth of the uh, super producer era. So it was easy because every month you had some Jimmy Jam and Terrell Lewis, you had some, uh, LA and Babyface, you had some uh, Terry Riley, you had, and, and so these producers, like it was, they were easy to spot because the sound was always the same. So I knew like, if I like one of those records, I will like 
one of the other records that they're producing. And mm -hmm. from one going to the other, you ping ponging and you create a network. That's that's how I learned. Interesting. It's it's always crazy to think about the lengths that people would have to go to be fans of something in the age before the internet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was incredible. And I remember going to like buy singles and stuff, you know, back before iPods and, you know, MP3 players in general existed. And, but I was doing it on CD and, and it was literally my entire allowance to buy CDs. And that seems so far away now. Like I can't even imagine yeah. how I will, describe and explain that to the next generation that we couldn't just instantly demand to hear whatever song we wanted. Yeah. And, and look, I was, I was starving myself. Like I had, <laughs> I had, yeah, I had 20 francs a day for my lunch. Okay. Uh, which was okay, but it was not spectacular at the time. Mm. And, and like, and, and so I was starving myself to death because uh, if I remember correctly, buying a record like a uh, an LP was about fifty to sixty francs, but when it was an import, it could go up to eighty or a hundred. Uh, and I still bought a lot of those imports or the maxi singles because I was not satisfied with the short edited version. Um, so imagine how many weeks I had to starve myself. Oh, that couldn't have been me. I mean, yeah. just to buy I'll, records. I'll, I'm like, I'd rather sit in silence <laughs> <laughs> than be hungry. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that. Like, every every cent of my money was going either to records, Billboard magazine, and comic books. That was that was all I was doing. <laughs> Why is he so skinny, but he knows everything about The Flash? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about like New Jack Swing. And one thing I want to uh, say that was very interesting. So there's a, um, a New Jack Swing Essentials uh, playlist on, uh, Apple on Apple Music. And he was so, dis you were so disgusted. Oh, with I was this disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, because my essentials mm -hmm. are, were not there. Well, and not just that, but there were a lot of songs on there that people are lumping into this yes, genre that absolutely. don't really fit. Yeah, either were so, created before or even after, but are totally unrelated. And so, but why don't you describe, like, how would you describe, define New Jack Swing? Okay, for I was waiting for that question. <laughs> or, all right, so New Jack Swing was a genre that was created by Teddy Riley, Theodore Riley. Uh, who was born in Harlem in 1967. If Throwing I, in I, the tile, Teddy yeah. Riley. Yes, Teddy <laughs> Riley. Um, and he, he describes it himself as a collage, a collage of his own influences. Uh, I mean, he started playing music at three years old and he was living in Harlem and he was like, he spent all his days and some of his nights, which for a, a toddler or, or a young or infant is really weird, at the Apollo. So... Uh, he had members of the, his family that were like uh, either musicians uh, who were touring there or working there or like people that he knew, but he was constantly at the Apollo. And it was, it was his musical, it was his playground. The Apollo was his playground. And he started producing records when he was like 12. And his biggest, his first record was not New Jack Swing. It was actually hip hop. Hmm. It was, it was a song called The Show by Doogie Fresh. Dougie Fresh. And it. Dougie Fresh. Yeah. Dougie okay. Fresh, it, like he's a legend of the early days of hip hop. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. 
And and Teddy Riley wrote and produced and co-wrote and produced the show. And he got the attention of other people who put him in touch with other people. And he started producing and he had a group that formed that that morphed into another group um, called Kids at Work. They did a single, just a maxi single. And and basically, like uh, Kids at Work were were two people, were Teddy Riley and his best friend at the time, Timmy Gatling. And then and and then Timmy Gatling brought Aaron Hall, Aaron Hall and, and Timmy Gatling, they were working at a shoe store together, I think. Um, uh, and so he brought Aaron Hall and the three of them started a group called Guy. And Guy was the original gangster. But the thing is, Guy is the unsung hero of uh, the unsung group of New Jack Swing because <clears throat> uh, for the hardcore fans, Guy is like the legendary supergroup. But Guy didn't have the success that he should have had because Teddy kept giving songs to everybody else. Mm. And so the Guy Project, they had like 20, 30 songs, but most of them ended up going to I'll Be Sure or Keith Sweat or Bobby Brown, Johnny Camp, all these acts that were like the the, the first acts of New Jack Swing. And, um, and as a result, I mean... Guy had like great cuts, but but the hits, like the crossover hits, top 40, number one hits, Guy didn't have them. Mm-hmm. They were a solid New Jack slash, slash R&B group. And it breaks my heart to say that because I love Guy. Yeah. Guy is like really uh, the essence of New Jack Swing. And musically though, how do you describe it? So it, I mean, so it, I was I was I was saying that it, it's a collage of yeah. of R and B, classical R and B, like crooners and mm-hmm. like uh, funk, hip hop, um, and 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 gospel music. And uh, you have a lot of these energy that they took from the churches. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this on the episode way back when. Um, well, we talked about gospel. We talked about the quartets. Yeah, exactly. The gospel quartets. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, uh, and it's funny because I before before we we recorded this podcast, I was listening to an interview of uh, Dallas Austin on Vlad TV. Uh, and Dallas Austin uh, is a producer that that also was part of the New Jack Swing first uh, years. Uh, he produced uh, Boys to Ants, uh, Cooley High Harmony, and Motown Philly. That was Dallas Austin. He produced TLC's first three albums. He was part of that gang. But he, and he was saying that when Boys to Men came, initially they wanted to be Take Six, and Take Six mm-hmm. was like huge in the eighties. Like it was that gospel group that went to record and 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 be a traditional group, but without denying their their roots so everyone everyone i think a lot of 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 uh of singers at the time wanted to be either tech seeks or gap band mm-hmm. you have a lot of gap band influences in in new jack swing because charlie wilson gap band they were huge for a generation but the same way curtis mayfield has a huge influence on guitar players and and people like jesse johnson even prince like curtis mayfield like um, Sly Stone, these people have a huge influence. Of course, Jimi Hendrix, they have a huge influence on funk. Um, for for New Jack Swing, it was definitely Gap Band, Gap Band, yeah. Hmm. But also James Brown and and all the other classics. So yeah, it's a collage. It's a collage. And and Teddy Riley just 
did it. He found the, the new formula. He, he found the, the right, the awesome sauce that made it work in a way that nobody could before. But the interesting thing is that he never wanted to make it kind of a cult where it's only his music and not everyone. He's very open-minded. Like a lot of people started copying New Jack Swing or, or, or make it theirs. Like only a couple of years after it, it exploded because like, oh, I want that. I want that. And on the radio, I mean, the, if, if you look at history, the history of, of, of music, the New Jack Swing years, it's just like eight, nine years Mm-hmm. So it's the, I mean, the initial um, era. It, it, so it's it's very short. It's a short period of time. But there were so many, so many records that came out at that time. The energy was amazing. It was like all the time. I remember going to the stores and it was like three, four, five, six a month that, that I didn't even have enough money to buy everything or to listen to everything. To this day, I'm still discovering new Jackson songs that I never heard. And I heard a lot and I bought a lot, like a ton. I am fascinated listening to this and how it all came about. And it makes so much sense when you listen to the sounds kind of both in the background and the foreground of New Jack Swing. You can kind of see those influences pretty prominently. And it makes for kind of a diverse genre that is all different, but then somehow all the same, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 No. But it's also very compatible with its time. Yeah. And it took the industry by surprise because like, look, 1986, one of the biggest R&B hits, can you say, 1986? Well, if you exclude Janet Jackson. I was three. Okay. So I would say, I would say Rocksteady by The Whispers. Okay. That actually, that was, I, I wasn't sure if that was the year, but that was one of the songs that came to mind for that time period. Yeah. So, uh, Rocksteady by The Whispers. It was clearly classic. Yeah. A classic. Like it's everywhere, all the weddings, everywhere. Like everyone <laughs> has heard Rocksteady. Yeah. All right. Of yeah. course. Rocksteady was a classic song. It was one of the first LA and Babyface songs that they sold to Solar Records. Um, and and it was an instant classic. Now, flash forward to a few months later, I want her by Keith Sweat drops. Everything else that came before sounded old. Mm. because new jack swing is new jack it's new it's like fresh it's different now um you haven't i'm surprised that you haven't asked about the term new jack swing i am curious where that term comes from and i googled right, around so and could not figure it out i'm gonna send you back to new jack city okay new jack city was a movie that you covered last week mm-hmm. but that was produced uh, co-written by a, a journalist called Barry Michael Cooper. Yeah, and his original story that they based the movie on, I believe, was set in Detroit. Yes. Okay. So he started developing this in 85, 86. Mm-hmm. And, and mind you, New Jack City was released in 1991, so it took a long time right. to have to, to take this movie off the ground. But the... But, uh, Initially, New Jack City was not the title of the movie. It was the subtitle. Yeah. Hmm. But he, he had that in his mind. He needs, like, he wanted New Jack something. That, that was his thing, Barry Michael Cooper. And then uh, in 87, after the success of I Wonder, he wrote a long article that he called uh, on Teddy Riley um, that 
where he coined the term New Jack Swing. Hmm. And it came from there. It came from Barry Michael Cooper saying like to Teddy Riley, how do you call your sound? And Teddy Riley like, I don't know. I don't know. Heavy R&B, something, whatever. No, you should call it New Jack Swing. <laughs> Here it is. It's you. Um, he liked it. And, he, and it stuck. And it stuck because people started coming back with like, hey, we read this article, like New Jack Swing is a thing. And, and so the first thing that he did, and it's completely like, if you look at it from a, a marketing point of view, it's exactly what you should never do. So you have this genre called New Jack Swing that is like two-third R&B, a third hip-hop, one-third hip-hop. And what he does, uh, Teddy Riley had this group called Rex and Effects that was basically formed with uh, his brother, Markel, uh, another rapper called Akil Davidson, and a third member called Brandon Mitchell. And this trio was produced by Teddy Riley. And their first single, it was a rap group. It was, it was not an R&B group. Their first single in 1988, spring of 1988, was called New Jack Swing. So you have a rap talking about New Jack Swing <laughs> that is not New Jack Swing, which is like very strange. Like, huh. yeah. and, if you, and if you listen to the song, you have Mark Riley rapping, Akil Davidson uh, uh, rapping, and then Teddy Riley saying, I made the New Jack Swing. That's the first line of his rap. I made the New Jack Swing. Yes, TR is my name. Uh, and he starts like throwing names. Like I have Bobby Brown, uh, uh, Deja, and, and, and Guy. and like. But at the time, all these acts were either like in production or not even released. <laughs> <laughs> so like, people were like, when you listen, like it's cool to hear New Jack Swing the song, but like it's it's very raw. It's very rap, and, he, and all of the song that he throws in, we haven't heard yet. So <laughs> it's, it's really bizarre. So I I, I uh, remember buying the record, listening to it, listening to it once, put it aside, and wait until like it grew on me, and he. Never did. Mm. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, there were other other New Jack Swing songs at the time. There was like Just Got Paid by Johnny Camp. Oh, such a good song. For example. Classic. Yeah, well, do you know that that Just Got Paid from Johnny Camp was initially um, a Keith Sweat song? That makes a lot of sense. Uh, it definitely has that Keith Sweat sound. Yeah, so it was it was a Keith Sweat song, but it was... He, they cut it too late for the album. The album was already mastered. Mm. So they couldn't put it on the album. And so uh, Johnny Camp came and, and Teddy Riley gave him the song and it became his one-hit wonder. Well, here's the crazy thing. I don't know if you know, but NSYNC covered that song. Oh, yeah, remember. Yeah, like 10 <laughs> years later, 15 years yeah. later. That's yeah. how I heard it the first time. And when my yeah. mom and dad heard that that's what I was listening to, they were like, no, 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 no. You got to listen to the yeah. original. <laughs> and yeah. that's how I heard the original. Yeah. And I did the same with my kids. Yeah. See, there <laughs> I, th you go. I threw the original at them. Well, let's do, let's kind of do that, a version of that, which is like setting the record straight, right? Okay. So my so, prerogative, the, the original. Yes. Yeah. Not Britney Spears. It's Bobby, Bobby Brown. Brown. That's yeah. not, not Britney, Britney Spears. Spears. <laughs> but I mean, what I guess what I mean by that is like, you know, you, you listen to a lot of podcasts, you listen to a lot of interviews mm -hmm. with people that don't really know, or they kind of are just guessing at it. Yeah. 
In fact, I think you were listening to a comedy podcast where they were like, oh, yeah, we think Janet Jackson came up with New Jack Swing. Oh, yeah. So- like, I was like, <laughs> I was like shouting at the podcast, like from my, from my, my home studio. Uh, no, I mean, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and Janet Jackson, yes, they created something. But the people who, again, people who like have a little bit of curiosity would understand that. Jimmy and Terry came from Minneapolis. They were from the Prince camp. And they developed Janet Jackson's sound for one reason. Janet wanted to sound like Prince. Who doesn't, really? Like, if you're no, going like, to pick somebody. <laughs> so, if I don't know if you know this, Paige, but, like, Janet Jackson had two albums before Control that were failures. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And the second of those albums, I think it was Rush Street, but I'm not sure. Uh, or something street, whatever, um, was produced by Jesse Johnson. Jesse Johnson was just like Jimmy Janitor, who is a member of the time, and uh, he was from Minneapolis. And it didn't work. It was poorly marketed. She was not ready for it. It was It was not. It was The, the sound was not... Uh, her looks and her sound didn't match. Mm-hmm. Come Jimmy Janitor Lewis. Friends of Jesse, friend. I mean, they were with friends, even though they were not friends at that time. Right. Um, uh, and 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 they developed control for her because they they realized that. And and the father, Joe Jackson, said, "I know you guys. I know you come from Prince's camp. I don't want my daughter to sound like Prince." And that's a very Prince. Like that album sounds like Prince. No, but yes. Right. I mean, actually, yeah. if you if you look if if you if you know. Uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and like and it's funny because a lot of pe- I see online people saying like oh uh, Control and, and and Rhythm Nation are New Jack Swing albums no they're not right they're not they're in their own lane they're in their own universe like you, you can't mix it yes they are on Control and, and especially on one record which is the B-side of Miss You Much mm-hmm. it's a song called Now You Need Me which is the New Jackest sound that Janet Jackson has ever done but it was a B-side of a first single right. in 1989. So it, it was like, it, it's, no, she's, she's not a New Jack Swing uh, uh, artist. What about All Right With Me? Well, it's the same thing. I mean, All Right With Me was on the same album. And you could tell that there's an influence. But remember, in 1989, when, um, when uh, Rhythm Nation was released, uh, New Jack Swing was everywhere. So if you are a producer, whoever you are, you're influenced. You influence by everything on the radio, yeah, right? Uh, and you want it to work. So it was it was really everywhere. Like the biggest act was Bobby Brown. Yeah. So uh, and 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 then like a few months later, boom, BBD, Poison, Smash. Yep. So it's New Jack Swing was everywhere. But the the funny thing is, um, and again, uh, Jimmy and Terry, if you look at Control. Control was much more inspired by the work that they did with the SOS band before. Um, and, and it was kind of a progression for them. Mm. They finally had the, the artist and the means to express their production and, and their musical skills and to expand in a way that it could never before. So it was, it was, it was really a mutually beneficial partnership uh, musically. But it, let's get back to Dede Riley for a second because while everybody enjoys success... Teddy Riley was in his own crisis at the time. So in 1989, Teddy Riley breaks up with his business partner and co-producer, Gene Griffin, 
who was also his, uh, I think his godfather. Mm. Because Jim Griffin um, had them sign a contract that was a really bad deal, bad oh. contract. So Jim Griffin was kind of taking all the money and all the credits and Teddy got the crumbs. And so he got out of this contract, and, 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 but he was broke. He had nothing. And when he started in 1990, he always said that three things saved him. One, um, the, uh, I think it was uh, Louis Silas Jr. Or, or Gerald Busby, one of those music executives, I, I don't exactly remember which one, who called him and say, look, I have this song. It's a rock song, but I need someone to remix it. It's cool. And, and, the, and the artist will only work with you. Hmm. And at that time, uh, Teddy Riley didn't really work with rock or pop artists. I mean, he did Boy George. Right. And it, and it was a mess. Yeah. He, he always says that, like, he was really a, not a good experience for both of them. Um, I can't think of two people who could not, like, easily combine more. Like, just yeah. two completely disparate yeah. styles. Totally. So, and that, that, that singer was Jane Child and the song was, I don't want to fall in love. And I don't want to fall in love by Jane Child became num a number one hit and Teddy Riley made a lot of money out of it. And I, he kind of saved him. And the other things that saved him was Michael Jackson called. Mm. Okay. This story is crazy. Yeah. Where yeah. he, Michael Jackson kind of held Teddy Riley hostage for. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't think it's the first or last time Michael Jackson did that. No, I mean he he had him at at his home studio for like a few weeks, and then he left, and he and he, and he refused that he went home. He said like, "No, uh, Teddy was like, I want to see my family. I have kids, and like, right. no, you're not leaving my home. You're not leaving Neverland." <laughs> But my family, bring them in. But I want my friends, bring them in. But uh, how about my parents, bring them in? Like, and and Michael Jackson was ready for everything to have Teddy Riley stay. And the thing that I learned recently, and I didn't really, I, I guess it was me just not really looking at the time right. Um, Dangerous, which was the album that Teddy Riley produced with Michael Jackson, um, took one year and three months to, to be completed. Dang. Yeah. But during that time, Teddy Riley, I mean, you couldn't tell. Like, first, it was a secret, but you couldn't tell because Teddy Riley was still delivering hits for other people and also for Guy. Guy's second album was released in 1990. Um, and it was like nothing existed. Like, this, this whole thing, it was so secret. Nobody knew Michael Jackson were working with Teddy Riley. Yeah. And there was no internet, so and there was no TMZ either. So, <laughs> uh, and nobody cared about Teddy Riley. Like, so it was it was really it was really interesting the whole making of this album. But for me, I mean, Dangerous. As much as I like Dangerous, as as much as I like Michael Jackson, it, it's not the most interesting work that Teddy Riley has delivered as a producer or a songwriter. Um, he did he did like the lesser known. I have like a this kind of. Uh, tenderness for the lesser known groups like Today, High Five, um, uh, Abstract, the Star Point, uh, all, the, all the ones that never worked. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like the losers. I mean, High Five is not a loser. I mean, they had hits, but uh, but yeah, compared to to the other bigger ones, that's true that, yeah, 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're no Michael Jackson. Let's put it that way. They're no Michael Jackson, but like, and the paradox is that New Jack Swing started dying down after. Yeah. Like after night after ninety two, there was so much New Jack Swing everywhere. Like every artist wanted a New Jack Swing song, so it became like the market became flooded with New Jack Swing. Like even if you look at Prince's Diamonds and Pearls, yeah. Uh, Get Off, the song Get Off, the first single, was very new Jack Swingy. Mm -hmm. It had the same kind of uh, drums and beat elements because Prince, even Prince was like influenced by by what's outside. Um, and it was like, okay, you want new Jack Swing? I'm going to give you mine. Mm -hmm. And it was not anyone's new Jack Swing. It was Prince's version of new Jack Swing. There are other songs that were released later, like Acknowledge Me or Billy Jack Beach. <laughs> that that were clearly Prince's version of what New Jack Swing is in his mind. Um, that 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 came after, but like yeah, and Jodeci was released. J Jodeci, like people like forgot that Jodeci started as a New Jack Swing group. Jodeci's first album was divided into the side A. I mean, at the time there was like records, so you had a side <laughs> A and a side B. So side A was just the ballads with the traditional R and B. Uh, things, but side B was up tempos, super new Jack swing songs and all, but they were so popular with their singles, with the ballads that the records labels were like, no, 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 forget the up tempos, go straight to the ballads. And that's why like most of Jodeci's songs after were like either mid tempos or ballads, hmm. uh, because it, because it's what the public wanted. It's like what was working at the time and i think the shift started happening in 93 94 uh where hip-hop started dominating the scene and everything that was r&b became second best mm. and new jack swing was kind of in the middle and didn't really have the space to expand itself and i think teddy riley was also tired of of that i mean he did so many songs he, he he worked uh, and after michael jackson he was like exhausted and like yeah, for a reason i mean it's understandable when you work so long on an album and it's the most successful album of all time for you uh you need to rest uh but even there he and he broke up with guy he founded black street and he was like he wanted something new i think he wanted to escape the new jack swing bubble but still went on to have success with Blackstreet, but yes, it did come back. Yeah. Well, th that's the funny thing. Blackstreet had four albums. Mm -hmm. The first album, which is to that day my favorite, um, was clearly a version of New Jack Swing with more bass and more hip hop. Yeah. But still retaining the ballads like Joy, Before I Let You Go, those kind of ballads that like are still classics. Um, the Sagan album was more experimenting. They had very little time to put it together. They were experimenting and they went pop. Mm -hmm. They had Dr. Dre. They did No Diggity and Don't Leave Me, you know. So they, they were expanding the brand. Uh, and then the third album where you, the irony is that the, on the third album, you had this duet with Janet Jackson. Boyfriend, girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was it was an album with like no direction, mm -hmm. and the fourth album they did it for the money. Like let's be honest, yeah. like it, it was <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was no hits. It was not inspired. They tried to recapture the sound. There were there were tensions between members of the group. Nothing was really working. That album, like forget it. Mm -hmm. 
I I think you were probably about to get into this, Fabrice, but how do you feel about that Cardi B Bruno Mars remix? Ah, uh, <laughs> I was dreading that question. I I'm just curious. I'm, I'm fascinated because it is. It's almost like if somebody had a paint by numbers new Jack swing, that's that yeah. song. Okay, so the funny thing is that last week I was listening to uh, a another panel from uh, 2018 where Terry Riley and the late Andre Harrell. Andre Harrell was also we we never talk about this guy like, but Andre Harrell was the founder of Uptown Records. Mm. New Jackson wouldn't would have never been what it was without Uptown Records. Yeah, Uptown Records had Guy, Jodeci, Heavy D and the Boys, uh, I'll Be Sure. Uh, like Uptown Records was re- was really where New Jackson was born. Like really, mm-hmm. like they may not have been the place where uh, the first hit from Key Sweat was released. Or the second one from Johnny Camp, or the third one, uh, my prerogative. But then everything after was Uptown, mm-hmm. and Uptown became the home of everyone who called themselves a, a, a new Jack Swing artist. And it's and it's great because it expanded. They had Christopher Williams, uh, they had Mary J. Blige, they had like they had so many other great artists. I mean, we, we could talk for a long time about this, but like those artists don't really have the recognition that they should have. And and when I see like, I mean, Bruno Mars is a is he's a performer. He's an entertainer. Yeah. And and his thing is I'm gonna pay homage to to everything that I liked when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So um I don't remember the name of his first or second album, uh, but but he covered a lot of pop songs from the early 80s. Like he really like it sounds like the police. It sounds like uh, Genesis. It sounds like all these pop British groups that were dominating in the early '80s. And then you move to the the last album, the 2018 album, where you have finesse. And then you see, okay, like now I hear a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and 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 again, he made a collage of a collage. Mm. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I mean. In a way, I'm happy because people started, I mean, New Jack Swing started getting traction again. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time since we had a new New Jack Swing tune. So yes, it was absolutely not original. It was a collage. But it's the nature of the genre. It's a collage already. So he, he just took a few notes of Poison, uh, a few notes of Want to Get With You by Guy, another one of Teddy Jam and whatever. And he, and, he, and he brought all that together and he created this, oh, I want her. There's a little bit of that too. Uh, and, he, and he made this, like he put that into a shaker and he made it. His talent is to help people remember the legacy of music. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. Like, But I was, I was very mad like the first time <laughs> I listened to it. But it grew on me. It grew on me. Like, yeah, it grew on me. And the, the first version without the rap was working well. Um, the rap was okay. It, it gave more energy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the song that will play on repeat. Like, mm-hmm. I would go back and listen to the classics uh, because I'm old. 
but yeah, I mean, there are so many songs. Like again, we haven't talked about "I'll Be Sure." We haven't talked about uh, even the new Jack City soundtrack. Yeah, amazing. The new Jack soundtrack. City. Yeah, but it, that is by essence not a new Jack Swing soundtrack. Yeah, there's a lot of hip hop on it. There's a lot of hip hop on it. Yeah, but it's because it came from Giant Records. Giant Records was not a new Jack Swing place, and uh, I like this anecdote. Guy is in the movie, mm-hmm. probably as a courtesy to Barry Michael Cooper. Mm-hmm. But the song New Jack City that Guy performs in the movie was not included in all the versions of the album when it was released. It was a bonus track for the CD version. Oh, interesting. So you had a soundtrack called New Jack City, and New Jack City by Guy was not in it when you bought the vinyl record or the cassette. You had to buy the CD to have New Jack City by Guy. Perrier. Perrier, c'est fou. C'est fou. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you also had, you also had uh, um, Color Me Bad. Yeah. And I Want to Sex You Up helped propel also New Jack Swings to, because it was, it was the first multi-ethnic New Jack Swing group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the, uh, again, the family thing, uh, I Want to Sex You Up was produced by Dr. Freeze. Dr. Freeze did Poison. Dr. Freeze did um, uh, Another Bad Creation, another group from Michael Bivens. Like all these like New Edition, Guy, um, these groups are all like in the same circle. Um, And um, there was like a huge uh, beef between Guy and New Edition and BBD when they were on on tour together because uh, somebody got shot. Mm -hmm. And I think they touched it upon it a little bit in the in the biopic but it was like a minor element um yeah i mean it's new jack swing is part of musical history like when if you like r&b soul music um you have to you have to like new jack swing it's and if you look at the evolution of the genre when they started they were guys in suits just like the old school Temptations and OJs and like, they were not like Prince. They were not like Michael Jackson. They were guys in suits. And then Jodeci comes, they're like in streetwear style. Uh, Boys to Men, they have this streetwear, like they have Timberlands and like those big coats. And the Letterman sweaters with the oh, hats. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and it became, it becomes some, and even BBD, BBD was like hip hop. They had the hip hop style. They brought hip hop to New Jackson. They brought hip hop to R&B. This is where it, the, the landscape started to change. You had like influences coming from everywhere. Um, but initially, I, I don't think Terry Riley uh, envisioned his brand growing like that. Um there was a, an old interview with Timmy Gatling. Timmy Gatling was one of the, I, I said it was the founding member of Guy. He left before the end of the first album, even though this picture is still on the cover, he left before the end of the first album because he had a, a financial disagreement with the manager. And not a lot of people know that, but he's uh, the songs that he didn't complete were completed by I'll Be Sure, but he was never credited. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I know, right? And clearly, Timmy Gatling, in an interview, and he became a pastor. After like he was like disgusted with the music industry, he went to God, and he became a pastor. So uh, Timmy Gatling said the initial formula was R&B with a little touch of, of hip-hop. But the second album from Guy was 
50% R&B, 50% hip hop. You had rap in it. And all the remixes from the first album were already Teddy Riley letting hip hop grow on him. Uh, and when he did uh, the second Rex and FX album with Rum Shaker, which was a huge hit, <laughs> a huge like a lot hit. of people remember yeah. Rum Shaker. Yeah. Yeah. Zuma, 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 Zuma. yeah. Well, but a lot of people don't remember that Rum Shaker came from Teddy Riley. Now that we found love from Heavy D and the Boys, Teddy Riley. Um, it, this guy produced a lot of hits that people still know to this day, but they don't remember what is, and then he went to Korea for two years and like, he did like K-pop, mm, whatever. Wow. So <laughs> I can't imagine another end to the movie Hitch besides, <laughs> besides Heavy D and the Boys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which by the way, the one that's in Hitch is a cover. Big, that's funny. Cause I remember buying the soundtrack and being like, wait a second, what? <laughs> this is not the real heavy and the boys <laughs> i i want to say so i want to say and i'm gonna have to google this so i don't sound stupid uh hitch soundtrack i want to say that it's heavy d and the boys re-recording it but i am not a hundred percent so oh it's possible yeah well i you know what i the t at the time i hadn't seen hitch and i bought the maxi single because i loved it yeah when it was released in 91 so yeah I mean, to me, it's like Heavy and the Boys uh, with Aaron O. And the thing is, that's another song that was uh, destined to be in the Guy album and ended up with Heavy D because Heavy D wanted the song. Mm. So I looked it up. They did credit Heavy D, but not Heavy D and the Boys with it, which interesting. is very interesting. So it may be the original or it may be a re-recording by Heavy well, D. No, it, it, he he was he was on the album Peaceful Journey that I recommend to any music and hip hop fan. Peaceful Journey from Heavy D and the Boys. It's from 1991. It was one of his finest albums. I really love it. That and Nothing But Love in 1994, if I'm correct. Mm. Uh, two albums where where Teddy Riley produces heavily with the boys <laughs> <laughs> for real because like um, Heavy D and the Boys were was his own group. Like uh, one of the members is DG Eddie F. And DG Eddie F is a producer in his own right. So um, he did a lot of things for a lot of other uptown artists, Father MC and, and uh, even I'll Be Sure. So, yeah. I mean, all these people like crossed over with each other. Um, yeah. I mean, I could go on forever. Did you, did <laughs> I you, know. Did you know, did you know that Jodeci? Oh, my. Jodeci, when they, when they formed, they wanted to be produced by Prince and they had no money. They went to Paisley Park. They slept in the car waiting for Prince to, to just open the door and, and have a meeting with them. And they could never. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise me. So they went, they went to New York. They went to New York and they started trying to, uh, to, to distribute their, their music in the streets or whatever. And, like, and somebody from Uptown Records found them and introduced them to, I think it was, uh, I think it was, P. Diddy, because he was working, he was, he was a, an intern or like a young music executive at, at Uptown Records at the time. And Diddy introduced him to I'll Be Sure, and I'll Be Sure took them to Andrea Harrell, and they started producing the first album. Yeah. So when I went to Paisley Park, they don't let you stay in the parking lot unless you're actively about to start a tour or go to the gift Ooh. shop. And you have wow. to have like oh, a my. permit to go. So wow. I'm wondering if this is why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was a long time ago. So, you know, 
In the early <laughs> 90s, the security in Minneapolis was probably not what it is now. Yeah, probably not. Is, <laughs> I'm just wondering if Prince is like that. You're 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 going to pay respect to the legend. Yeah. So I'm I'm just wondering if he was like, I don't like people in my parking lot. <laughs> I only made enough pancakes for me and Charlie Murphy, and I'm not gonna share. <laughs> this girl. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was really informative. I'm, I'm going to consider this episode like by far one of the most definitive podcasts wow. about new Jack. So I get an A plus. Yeah. <laughs> I'd give you an A plus for sure. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Tell people where they can find you. All right. So they can find me on, uh, on social media um, at Fabrice Sapolsky. That's my full name. Uh, they can find me on uh, fairsquarecomics.com, which is the website of my company where we sometimes talk about New Jack Swing, but we mostly talk about comic books and graphic novels. But hey, you know what? I am preparing a graphic novel on New Jack Swing. So nice. It, there will be there will be there will be a, a a way of of putting together my main two passions into a graphic novel. I mean, it's 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 a project that I've been having for a very long time. Uh, it took me a while to find the artist. Now I have the artist. He's working on test pages and, and hopefully we'll have something in the next two years. Yes, this is slow, but yes, it, I hope it, it will come out in the next two years. Yes. Nice. That's awesome. Peach, what about you? What do you have coming up this week? Oh, good Lord. Uh, so <laughs> you can catch me on four different podcasts this week. Uh, <laughs> on, I mean, it's already Wednesday. So if you missed Horror Virgin and Cult podcast on Monday, I don't know what to tell you. I'm on this on Wednesdays. And then I've got my new show, Romancing the Pod, on Thursdays. Uh, by the time this comes out, I believe the next episode will be Fifty Shades of Grey. Nice. So prepare steamy. yourself. Yeah, steamy. <laughs> um, nice. I uh, I don't have anything coming up. Um, I'm going to be on a podcast. I'm not sure which episode it will be, um, but it's uh, look out for an episode with me on um, a podcast called The Male Gaze. Um, Ooh. <laughs> See me again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to think that yeah. it's just a podcast where they're like, do you see that postman? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Which honestly, we, we're looking forever because they're nowhere to be found. Um, <laughs> but you guys, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review and share the podcast with somebody today. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be black next time. <laughs>